0: much um, I want to open us up in prayer uh, this afternoon um, love the message this morning brother Kip um, prayer is so critical and so oftentimes I feel like we uh, we overlook it and uh, I think maybe sometimes we we don't see it as as effective as it is um, but I want us to continue I see Donna sitting here in the front row and it's so awesome to see you here um, and I know there's there's many, Paulette, it's great to see you. Um, I know there's many among us that uh, go through struggles and are fighting battles um, each and every day. And that just to show up here um, in the midst of your battles, it is encouraging to your church family. So I want to thank you all. Um, and I don't want to overlook anybody. I know um, those are two specifically that, that stand out to me, but I don't want to overlook anybody. If you're struggling and you're here tonight... I thank you uh, for being here with us. And I just want to lift up a prayer for you and for the sick among us uh, that were unable to be here with us tonight because of their their sicknesses. Uh, Let's let's pray, opening up the service. Lord, I thank you that you've allowed us to gather here as your people tonight. Lord, what a great honor it is to be able to share your word uh, with your church. I thank you for that, and I am constantly humbled by that. Uh, It is such a weighty burden, but it is a beautiful burden. And I pray that uh, I would always uh, respect this opportunity, that I would do diligent service to your word, that I would present it truthfully to your people, because it's only by your word in the working of your Holy Spirit, that we find our lives changed for the better. Lord, I pray for each of the sick in our church, those who are struggling and are here with us tonight, and those who are struggling with things, and those things have hindered them from being here. I just want to ask that your Holy Spirit would touch them and heal them. Lord, I thank you that we can that we can ask you and that we can come before you with the greatest needs of our heart, and You are attentive, and You come with open eyes and open ears, Lord. I pray as we dig into Your Word tonight, that Your Holy Spirit would stir us, that You would uh, seal my lips, that I would speak nothing of myself, but that Your Holy Spirit, through the reading and discussion and preaching of Your Word, would uh, move us, Lord. Uh, the text that we're going to cover tonight is yet another beautiful passage of text uh, which reveals to us such great promises and such great truth. And I I just, Lord, I, I constantly am fearful that I will leave out something that I shouldn't have. So, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide me in everything that I say and that we as a church would be moved by Your Holy Spirit, stirred to be used for Your purposes and the fulfilling of the promise that You've made. It's in Christ's name and for His glory. Amen. So tonight, for those of you who maybe weren't here with us last week, um, we're in the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 4. We've been making good progress. This is like the 18th sermon, and we're in chapter 4, so that's not too bad. Um, We're going to start in verse 13 of chapter 4, and the hope tonight is that we will finish up chapter 4. But before we really get into that, I want us to kind of review where we where we're at in the text. And I want to I want to say like this is this is kind of personal for me. Like the last two sermons for me have been so uh so fun. Right? Like the truths that we've been digging into uh over the last couple of weeks have been the kind of truths that I've been wanting to preach since God called me to preach and it seems like it's been such a a long and tedious road Uh, us just digging through, like, the book of Ecclesiastes and even the early, uh, chapters of Romans where we're dealing with some weighty and hard to hear, kind of heart-pricking scripture. Um, and now that we've kind of landed in, in this area of the text, like, this is where, man alive, there's, there's a part of me that just wants to live in this text and just review it over and over and over again. Uh, but there's greater, there's greater stuff that we're gonna see as we press along, so, Um, just pray for me in the presentation of the text tonight that I would do justice to it and that we as a church body would be uplifted and edified by it and encouraged to go out um, and to share it. So um, we have been, I'll I'll just ask the the question, I'll, I'll say what we've been doing and I'll present some questions along the way. We've been talking about over the last couple of weeks the idea of justification by faith. Right now, what is this idea? I want us to explore this first because we've been exploring a couple of things kind of encapsulated in this that I think are important for us to understand. Um, So just to kind of get our minds back in gear as to where we're at in the text. Could somebody tell me what is justification by faith? What does that mean when we talk about that? Say that again. So, placing your faith in the cross and what happens, or in Christ and the work that He's done on the cross, and what happens to the one who places their faith in Christ and the, and the finished and completed work that He has done? What happens to the one that believes in that? You're made righteous through Him. Now, we've talked about some, some things when we were kind of dealing with the right, this idea of righteousness. What do we not mean when we say that we were made Righteous. What's one thing that I do not mean when I say that you were made righteous? Okay, you didn't do it on your own. It wasn't a working out by you of righteousness, right? Another thing that I think is key, and I pointed out last week, I want to point it out again, is this idea of righteousness is not just simply a clean slate, right? When, when you think of the righteousness that you have, As a believer, I do not want you to think that you were just given a clean slate. And Because when we think in that way, we think in a way that, well, my slate's clean, I'd better not mess that up. Right? That's not what's happened in the cross. When we're justified by placing our faith in the work of Christ, we are in fact given the righteousness of Christ. His righteousness is imparted to us. And that's a big difference. Right? I want that to sink in for us. Like that's a huge difference in the way that we relate to God. We're not walking on eggshells before God. We're not concerned that we're gonna mess this whole thing up because we know that what was done on the Christ or what was done on the cross by Christ has satisfied fully and completely the wrath of God against the sinner who would believe in the work of Christ. Right? So that when God looks at you, Christian, having placed your faith in Him, He sees not a clean slate, not a place that you can mess up, but the work of Christ. Right? The work of Christ has been given to you. So that when God looks at you, He doesn't just see somebody that can mess things up, but He sees the perfect work of His Son. Right. So when we think of the way that we relate to God as believers, I want us to be fixed and firm in that understanding. That if we believe in what has taken place on the cross and in the resurrection, that we have been completely justified before God. Never do we have to concern ourselves with what we have to do next. Right? So our service that we're going to see as we start digging into the text it's not going to come out of obligation because now i have to add to but it's going to come out of a heart that knows that it rests firmly and securely in the hands of a savior right so that's justification and that can be done because of what the cross right so we 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 explored a little bit about god being both just one who punishes sin, and the justifier, one who would make way for the sinner that would believe. right? So this is the idea that we're kind of digging into and sinking down in deep into over the last couple of weeks. And last week, we started looking at chapter 4 where Paul goes to start talking about Abraham. And Paul here starts giving an, an example of how all along... Faith has been plan A, right? So what I want us to get also is that justification by faith was not a plan B. It was not a way you couldn't obey the law, so now we have to figure out something else, right? And we can know this as we explore all of Scripture, because the truth of Christ is there in every aspect of the text. We find these pointing in the Old Testament, pointing and foreshadowing, prophesying of the promise that will be fulfilled by who? By Christ, right? So I want us to get this. The work is whose work? God's work, right? The work is whose work? I ask again. The work is whose work? Awesome. I was asking it a couple of times because normally as I start asking people will be like, Lennon must be like trying to trick somebody, like, like it is Christ's work and Christ's work alone, right? This is the idea, and this has been promised and foretold from the very beginning, and that's what we were exploring last week in Abraham. So now, kind of at the at the last part, and I don't know if y'all noticed this, and I want to go ahead and give you kind of a, a, a little uh, heads-up warning that this is just going to intensify further and further and further along as we go through this book. I don't know if y'all noticed it last week, but we're going to find this idea throughout the text, that as we explore the truth of the Gospel, that we also find embedded with it, what? The sharing of the Gospel. Right? That it is imperative for us, as believers of the Gospel, to do what? To share the Gospel. Is it an option for us as believers? Is it an option for us as believers to share the Gospel? Now, let's, let's, let's play with that idea of, of, of it. So as a Christian, can you sit and do nothing? I want, to ask the question, I want us to think about this. I want us to think about this. As a Christian, can you sit and do nothing? I love the front row today. This is awesome. Ask it again. Be ready. As Christians, can we sit and do nothing? Why? The Spirit of God compels you. So I want us to ask ourselves the question off of this. If God having once saved us and given us His Spirit, is going to lead us into the sharing of His Gospel, what would that tell us if we're not? That you may not be a believer of this Gospel. Now, I want to be careful here. Because what I'm not telling you is that you must work to be saved. What I'm telling you is, the one who is saved will work out of that salvation. This is not an option that we will find ourselves wanting to have. I want you to get that. That it's not a matter of, well, if I don't want to, I don't have to. It's a matter of, you will want to when you've taken hold of this Gospel, and when you know the truth of this Gospel, it will lead you to share this Gospel. So I want to go ahead and put that out there so that y'all know that this is coming. right? This is coming. And we're going to explore that a little bit uh, more tonight as we dig into the example of Abraham. So we broke that into two parts. Part A last week. Part B this week. We're going to be in 13. Now, what I want us to see in this text is that we started digging in with Abraham in verse 3 of chapter 4. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, I want you to understand that we're going to land back on that idea of righteousness at the end of chapter 4. But because we had to break this up, what well, the way that we're going to kind of look at this, we're going to dig in Abraham's righteousness. This gospel is a gospel for everybody. That was kind of the tail end of last week's text. We're going to be starting... This week, with the idea that the gospel is for everybody, right? And then we're going to kind of step back out at the end of this text to that conclusion that righteousness is by faith alone. So that idea is encompassed in the promise that was made to Abraham. I want you to be thinking about that promise. Um, I say that, and then I want to read this text to you. Chapter 4 Verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. I want to stop there. I want us to think about this. So there's a promise, and we're going to go back and we're going to look at this promise uh, in the Old Testament, just kind of get our minds wrapped back around this. But he gives us a glimpse of this promise right there in the middle of that verse. What is the promise? What idea encapsulates that promise? For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that what? He would be what? He would be, he would be what? Read the, read the text. He would be what? Is it something else up there? No. It says exactly what it says. What are we going to be heirs of? What are you now as a believer and heir of? What is yours? And now are you asking yourselves, "Now, I know Landon likes to hate on some health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, but that almost sounds close to some health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Because what I want to tell you, believers, is that the world is yours. Do you hear me? Do you hear me when I tell you that the world is yours? What I want to come out of this Gospel is a Gospel that emboldens us. That we know where we stand. That we know what we have. And that in that, we are willing to risk everything. Because we know that it will be repaid to us in the end. We know this. In the same way that Abraham knew that God would fulfill His promise. God is still fulfilling His promise. And what is that promise? That we would be what? How big a deal is that? How 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 big a deal is that? Okay, here's what I want to here's what I want to tell you because I know I've done the health, wealth, and prosperity like hammer that thing into the ground and past messages. I want to tell you that I do that because it so undershoots. It is so underwhelming the prosperity gospel that is preached in America today that it is shameful that we would look there when we should be looking there. That we would look to perishable things when imperishable things are ours already. Do you get that? I, Do you get that you are heirs to what? How many of us waste our lives chasing after something that's already ours? And you say, well, man, it doesn't look like I own the world right now. It doesn't look like I'm an heir of the world. We're going to find in the text that there is this idea of already and not quite yet. Right? So you are heirs of the world. But you're not heirs of the world in the sense that you're going to be, I'm going to promise you, Lear Jets, or I'm going to ask you to pay some big tithes so I can get me one, or Kip can get him one, because that's not what it's about. That's that's small game. Right? We should be setting our eyes on something much higher than that. Right? You don't have to chase to gain the whole world Because you are already heirs of it. Hold on to that. Know that to be true. How can we know that to be true? Because God promised it. And I want to ask you the question, can He fail in that? Can He fail in that? So if God tells you something, can He fail in that? God cannot fail. God cannot fail. So if He's promised you the world, what will you get? The world. So don't concern yourself. Here's what I want to tell you. Don't concern yourself. Don't waste this life chasing for something that you already have. I'm not telling you that you're not going to have it. I'm telling you you're chasing after something, wasting away this life on something that's already been promised to you. And when you chase after it, instead of chasing after what we've been called to chase after, you're wasting away opportunities for others to be a part of this great promise. So let's read that again. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So heres I, w- I want us to get this, that throughout this passage of text and throughout this book, we're going to see opposed the idea of working through the law versus believing and holding by faith. And I think there's a fine line. We're, go- we're going through the book of James in Dad's class now. And in, throughout this book, we find this idea of where's, where's your faith without your works? Right, so I don't want us to, to have the idea that faith is not accompanied by anything, but I don't want you to have the idea that you are working towards something of your own, right? You're not working towards your salvation. when we go out and labor as our as our mission team is in Honduras, even now, they're not laboring for their own wealth. They're not laboring for anything that this world has to offer. We labor for souls. Our call is to people. Our call is to the nations. The promise was made. What was the promise? Heirs of the world. Let's continue on digging through that. For if it is the adherence of the law... Who are to be the heirs? Then faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. At this point, I want us to step back over into Genesis, and I want us to look at this example he's about to quote from. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and read uh, read down to the quote, and then we'll kind of work back through it. Verse sixteen. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Let's flip over to Genesis chapter 17 and let's look at where he's made this promise. And we're going to dig into this here just a little bit. Exploring this idea. I'm going to read this text and I'm going to ask you if anything jumps out at you as strange as we read this text. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 17 here. We're going to look at verse 5. Really, particularly, we're looking at the end of verse 5 that we're concerning ourselves with mostly. And then we're going to read 6, 7, and 8. I want you to pay attention to words. Words matter. This is something that I've told you all along the way. It's really key as you're digging into Scripture to pay attention to what Scripture says and not just what you think that it says. So let's let's look at chapter 17 of Genesis, uh, verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name, or Abram, excuse me, but your name shall be Abraham. Abraham means father of a multitude, and he kind of explains that there at the end. He says, "For I have made you." The father of a multitude of nations. Now I want to point a couple of other things out to you too. That in just a handful of scripture, a handful of texts in the book of Genesis, we find God expanding his promise bigger and bigger and bigger. Alright, so if we go and look in chapter 12, which we've kind of reviewed this in the past, but I want us to see this again. Uh, I want us to see how he is expanding this promise. And he's just kind of doubling down time and time again on the promises that he's making to Abraham. So chapter 12, verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. So there he's going to make him a what? A great what? Nation. Okay, we go over again and we look in 15 and we see him making uh, more promises here. Um, 15 verse 5, and he brought him outside and said, look towards the heavens and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. So what is he doing there? He's going to be a great nation. And now he's making that. He's like, count that. Count that, and if you can count that, that's how big. That's how many will be yours. And then we go over again into 17, where we just uh, picked up there. Verse 5, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Did y'all see what happened there? Did y'all see what happened? Could, it, could I get somebody to tell me what happened? So, uh, I what? I have. So he says, I have. Do we notice that? Does that does that significant at all? We're going to explore that significant. What else does he say in that passage of text? I've done what? I've made you what? A father of one nation. A a father of two nations. A father of a couple nations. A father of you got a handful of kids and I'm going to count them. No, a father of what? Many nations, some translations like mine read, a multitude of nations, so God has in just a short span of text here and it 's really probably about fourteen years of time, but short span of text, as far as what we 're covering here, has compounded again and again this promise, and here he uses this word "I have made what 's the significance of that because somebody what is the significance when God says "I have"? i a, a, I'm hearing a ton of good stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. I love y'all feed giving feedback. I like for y'all to think. I don't like to just like throw stuff at you. God has, which means what? It's done. Is that what that means? If I say, I have done something, what does that mean? That it's past tense, yeah? That it's already been done. Now, I want to ask you a question. If I tell you that I drove to church tonight, is there any way that you can undo that? Can you make it such that I did not drive to church? Now, nobody's got a time machine in here, right? So, y'all can't do that. Right, so I can't go like intervene at some point along the way. So I have driven to church. God says, I have made. It is done. It is finished. When God says it, especially when He says He has, is there any uncertainty in that? And who did it? Who did it? So when we see that, we see that this idea is done, and we see that it was completed by who? By God. There's a lot of interesting things that we could ask about this. Right? Like, what influence did man have along the way? Right? Now I want us to think about that. Right? Like, Could it have, and and we've explored this a couple of times in the past, but I want you to think about it. Could it have been the case that somewhere along the way God wanted something to happen and it did not or failed to happen because a man or Satan or the powers and principalities of this world in some way stepped in and intervened so that what God intended had to be reworked? Has God ever had to rework his plan to take into account? Something that he did not foresee or foreknow. So God's plan, has it ever been redirected? <laughs> this is good. we got people that read their Bibles. This is awesome. Moses prayed. And God didn't destroy. So so did he... Ch- I want us to ask that question. I want us to think about it. Did he change his mind? Right? Did he change his mind? I'm going to go with no, and we could do a whole other sermon series on... Oh, no, he didn't change his mind. It may appear that he changed his mind. But I would I would kind of categorize that idea and that thought in the same category that when God comes into the garden and he's like, Adam, where are you at? Yeah. He didn't really like, you know, I wonder where he's at. Yeah. You know, he wasn't like, man, he hid good. Like Adam's like the best hide-and-seek guy on the planet because he hides and God has a hard time finding him, right? No. That's not what's going on there. There's something else. There's a little bit of nuance in those kind of situations. But I want us to understand that God's plan is pushing forward. And it cannot fail, and it cannot be diverted. Right? Without. Yeah, with or without us. Now, I, here's, here's what I want to... We're going to this, is, this is awesome. So we say with or without us. But I want to tell you, it's with you. Right? It's with you and it's through you. I want you to get that. And this comes back to that idea of if we're Christians, can we just sit around and do nothing? And I would say, no, you can't because God moves you. Right Now there may be times and situations and seasons where by God's plan, He allowed for us to be as stupid and as lazy as we wanted to be. But when the season comes, the church will arrive. Because when God calls us to awaken, we cannot slumber in the midst of that. Now I want you to, I want you to get this idea, this understanding that God says here, I have. And what has God done? I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. What does that mean at the end? Right? And we can flip to Revelation and we can get another picture of this if we wanted to where we see at the end, There's a multitude from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And I want us to ask the question, could we intervene? Could we just be lazy and it not happen? Will it happen? Will it happen in spite of us? (laughs) Yes. Let's pray it doesn't. Let's pray it doesn't happen in spite of us. Let's pray that God would send messengers to us so that He would open our ears so that we would take part in this. Right? Let's pray that it does not pass us by. Let's pray that by the grace and mercy of God that we at Mount Carmel take part in this. That we as individuals take part in this. I pray for each and every one of you. I don't want your lives to be wasted when you could be racking up treasure that you will be able to pour out at the feet of the only one that deserves glory, right? Instead of trying to work for someone else's approval or work so that you make yourself feel good, like we've been called to something greater and promised something so surpassing of any of our hopes and any of our dreams that it is worth laying our lives down for. But I want to tell you that that is not easy for us. We have so much that we cling to and hold to that keeps us from placing our faith in that. Right? I want you, we're coming back to this idea of justification by what? By faith. And I want us to truly examine our faith to see if it's genuine and if it would withstand the test of fire. I want you as individuals to consider this. To think of this, that God may move on past us doing His thing because He's going to do His thing. Do we want that to be us? As individuals, do you want that To be you. Are we going to have enough faith that the promise will hold? That we're willing to risk everything? Right? Because that's the kind of faith. When we're looking at faith, you've got two options. Either your faith in Christ is whole, complete, and secure. And if it is, then you are heirs of the world called to serve in a radical fashion, giving everything that we have for the sake of the gospel. One side. Something to believe in. Or the other side. Man, I like coming here and there's some pretty cool people most of the time. And I like the songs that we sing. And I know my mom, man, she'd be on me if I wasn't in church. She'd like harp on me, and I thank you for that, that you'd harp on me because it's something worth harping about if I were to not show up. I'm, I'm thankful for all the mamas that harp on their kids. And I'm over here, and I'm just I'm, I'm not fully convinced, you know. I mean, it sounds good, and I, I don't like the idea of hell. I really don't. So I want to I believe enough in something that I don't have to suffer in the end. But I don't want to believe enough in something that I would risk everything for today. So I can say that I believe and nothing happened. Right? Do we, do we get that there's that kind of faith? That I can say that I believe and I really don't? Do, you, do y'all understand that as church members... That you could have for years been saying that you believe, and you really don't. If that, and many of yeah, many of us have done it, right? I mean, many of us have done the church thing for years, and we've been in that place. And some of you may be in that place today, where it's like, you know, the whole like rally the troops thing. It just doesn't do nothing for me. You know, it doesn't. I I like my comfort. I like my, you know, I like the way it is now. If you just, just don't bug me and just let me do my thing so I don't feel guilty because that's really what it's about, isn't it? It's not about placing my faith in something. It's about not wanting to get punished for something. That's what we have made the whole church thing out to be, right? But this faith that is for the nations. Causes something radically different to happen within our souls. We become drawn in like a black hole that we could never hope to escape. Are we there, man? I don't. I I hope. I hope. I hope that you have the kind of faith that you would risk everything for. Right? It's worth that. It's worth that. But I I want us to be very, very, very wary of the kind of faith that causes us to sit still and not be concerned. Right? I want us to be very, very, very wary of that faith. Right? Faith is an important and critical aspect. That's why we're kind of spending some time on this. Faith. And if faith is real in you, that's the determinator between justifying in the work of Christ, and justified by your own works, which will burn up in fire. So, the genuineness of our faith is essential. It's essential. I want us to get that. I want us to get that. And you can look throughout Scripture if you want to see what genuine faith looks like. Right? It's fruit-producing faith. Life-changing faith. This is the faith that justifies, not the kind of faith that wants to just not be punished, right? I don't want to preach to you a gospel that scares you so that you have a fear of not being punished. I don't want to beg you to the feet of Christ. I want you to understand who you are apart from Him. So that you come running to the feet of Christ because you understand that He is the only hope that you have. And knowing that it's not just that, it's not just that, but you've been promised to be heirs of the world. It's so big. We make it something so small. But it's so big. It's so huge. And if we grasp this, if we understand this, this changes who we are. It changes what we live for. What are we living for? Most of us aren't living for anything. Day to day, day to day, you go on and you want to convince yourself that you believe. I want to tell you that this kind of faith in time pushes out all fear. Verse 16, chapter 4. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. This offer that has been made to us was never asked of from us this offer that is given out to us this offer that in you hearing the gospel is presented to you is presented how as a gift of grace and the promise rests on that grace I want us to understand that. I want us to get a. I want us to have a deep, a deeper understanding of what faith is. Right? Faith is. It's many things, but it is in no way shallow. I want you to get this. I want you to understand that faith runs deep into us. Right? That we rest in it. Right. That it is because of faith, knowing who God is, what He has done, what He has put forward, that we rest in that. And when you go out into your workplaces, when you go out into your schools, when you go out into your families, it is genuine faith in the grace that God has given to us, playing out by the power of the Holy Spirit, that people look at you and see something radically different than what you were before. We won't sit still. Rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the inherit of the law. This is not based on your knowledge of the law. You're working towards the law. But also to those or to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Do you have the faith of Abraham? What did Abraham's faith look like? I want you to get this. That whenever um, he quotes this here. Um, I have made you the father of many nations. And you go back and you look at that text in the Old Testament that Abraham is 14 years in now. God compounding after compounding after compounding this promise. And you know what Abraham has to show for it? Ishmael. Ishmael. And you know what God tells him after he makes this promise here where he says, I've made you the father of many nations? You know, Abraham could probably like rest a little bit and be like, "I'm glad Ishmael came along, because otherwise I'd have nobody." But God, just as soon as He tells him this, He tells him what—that the promise ain't coming through Ishmael. And Abraham's up up a hundred years old, and Sarah's been bur- uh, barren for years at this point, and he's—I can imagine—I'd be like, "Oh my goodness! Like, what am, what's the guy got to do? Like, I'm a hundred years old." <laughs> She ain't been having kids not once, and she put that woman in my way. And now you're telling me, after you've compounded after compounded, and you've said, I have made, now you've said, I have made, and now it seems like you're taking away all options. What did Abraham do? I mean, the man wasn't perfect, but he believed. He believed. That's why he's being brought up here by Paul. I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the thing, the things that do not exist. I I want a man alive. I don't think on that, if you would. like, This is one of those ideas and those concepts that has so many practical applications and it was it's practically applied by Abraham this understanding that he knows that, that God gives life to the dead and calls into existence a thing that does not exist and does not exist cuz I want you to understand this we're going to see this in a second that Abraham was as good as dead and as far as as far as his wife's concern doesn't exist he hopes and holds to this God with this kind of faith. Then when he makes promises, he believes that he will fulfill those promises. Though hope seems lost. This is faith. If you want to examine your faith, if you want to examine it, examine it in that way. Do you have that kind of faith? That when all hope is lost, right? when all hope is lost, do you stand firm in it? That's faith. That's faith. That's that substance of the thing hoped for but unseen. Right? Do we have that? And when I say we, I'm, I'm thinking on an individual level, to each and every one of you, I want you to be thinking to yourselves, is that what I have? I'm not here to try to cause you to doubt. Right? I'm not here to try to be like, oh, I must not be saved, right? I'm not trying to do that to you. I do not want you to doubt. But I want to tell you, if, if your life summed up at the end of years, is summed up by a faith that did nothing, then you're hopeless. Because your faith was empty. Let's not have that kind of faith have the kind that Abraham had here verse 18 in the hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations again we see this idea of many nations in uh, chapter 4 9 through the end there he's presenting the idea of is this promise only for the uh, the Jew, and he's opening this up again and again and again, showing from the example of Abraham that this promise from the very beginning has always been to who? To who? To everyone. I want that to sink, and I want that to to land hard on us as a church when, when we, especially as we start. Pushing further and further through this book, and we start considering as a church body, how are we supposed to be working? How are we supposed to be serving? Is everything that we do to be concerned with just keeping the power bill paid here and the carpet cleaned, or is there some higher call for us than that? Now, I'm not saying, I mean, we got to keep the place running. Y'all ain't going to come if there's like bugs everywhere, right? I'm not saying we don't have to do those things, but I'm saying those are not the reasons that we're here. I'm saying that if this place burned down tomorrow, we're still a church. And we still have a higher purpose than building this thing back. Right. Right? I want us to think about that. I want us to get ingrained in us that this gospel is bigger than just these four walls. Right? Many nations. Abraham, the father of many nations. God said what? I have... I have made you the father of many nations. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in the faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what He he had promised. That is why His faith was counted as righteousness. But the words that was counted were not written for His sake alone. So, I want us to flip back now one more time to Genesis. And we're, we're nearing the end now. And I want us to see the tension that is in this, and I want us to understand that there's something that's happened, there's something that's Guaranteed, that's locked in, and I want us to understand that there's something that's continuing to take place because this is where we're going to get as we look at our lives as individuals. This is where we're going to get as we look at the promise that God is continuing to fulfill that He has, in fact, fulfilled already. So, um, chapter 17, verse 5: No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall or Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So it's done, right? What does the very next verse start off and say? I will. So, I have. And now we find, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you And your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings, the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And this was written for who? For not just Abraham, but for us. Okay, so I want us to think about this. It is true that God has made us into nations, right? It is true. It is also true that God is now making us, right? So I want us to get this idea that God has set forth a promise that is sure. I have. And he set forth a promise that will be fulfilled how? By him, as he says here, I will So God has promised that it will be. And God has promised that it will be Him that does it. Right? I will. All along the way. I will. I will. So I want us to think about us. I want us to think about us as individuals. Also, as a church, I want us to think about what is God calling us to do. Right? And I want us to think about how will we fulfill that calling, both as a church and as individuals. How will that happen? Are we to just sit and expect that it just happens? How does it happen? Who does it? God does it. Does that mean that we do not step out or step forward? Does that mean that we do not do anything? You will work. You will work. You will be compelled by the Spirit of God to work. You will serve. You will. I'll say it a hundred thousand times and some of you may sit there thinking, I will not. You will. If you were a believer, you will. You may sit there and think that you won't, but God says, I will. God will move in you today. I pray that He does. Lord, to have the testimony of someone up here that says, oh, I'm not going to do it. And then a week from now, you realize that you will. Because God will. It will happen. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? How will that happen? Through God. Through God, through faith in God, working through us, Kip touched on a major aspect of this this morning. Do you pray? Do you pray? Do you seek to be used? Do you seek to serve? And I'm like I say, I'm not talking about just cleaning floors, man. We we've got that in our mind, and when we think of service, like it's what, what am I going to do in this building? Like I could, I and I might get in trouble for this, I could care less if you come vacuum or cut grass or whatever, man. I'm so sick and tired of that being the thing that we do as a as a church. Like, what I would much rather you do is hear you coming into church talking to one another about how while you were at work, God used you. While you were in your families, God used you. When I talk about work, and when we tend to talk about work, we've it scares folks off because we think we're going to be like tied to something here. This kind of service and work that I'm calling you to is not that kind of work or service. And if you would understand that, if you would understand that the end of this is not the cleaning of floors or smelling like Ajax everywhere, but that lives are going to be changed because God will... And He will through you. And this promise was given not just to Abraham. It was given to us. And This is part of what you're placing your faith in. That God will. That God will. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who has delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification so in that last verse and we think about where we're at where we're fixed, how we're there how we stay there where we go from there how we serve how we will how this I will and I have plays out in our lives I want us to understand this Alright? I want us to understand this that it is fixed and based not in our works and our abilities it is fixed and In God Himself. This is how I can stand up here confident. Confident knowing that He will. Without question in my heart knowing that He will. This is how 15 years I've been serving here. 15 plus probably I've been here. From a kid most of y'all have seen me. And y'all know what we've gone through as a church. Some of you. Some of you are newer than that. You've seen after effects of this. This is why I stay. This is why I'm not at glory. This is why I'm not at Brook Hills. Because God will. And I'm holding to that. I'm holding to that. Because I have, I have a hope. For you, better than the doors closing and you scattering out. Because God answers prayers. God answers prayers, and it's not always in the way that we ask for it or hope for it. But He has, and He will. And we need to rest in that. And when you think that you're not able or you're incapable, God is, and He will. He's already, he's already done it. It's done. Man, you get, to, you get to play a part in the most beautiful story that's already been written. And many of you don't even care. Don't let it pass you by. I can tell you, if you're a believer, you will regret that. And if you think it's already passed you by, it hasn't. There's many young people here looking for older people here to minister to them, to be wise counsel to them. Would you? Would you? I'm not asking you to clean floors and get on cleaning teams, man. I'm asking you to be embedded so deeply in one another's lives that you know when somebody's sick and you know when somebody's hurting and when, when I stop tonight that you're not looking to jet off the door. I want something more from us. I believe so deeply that God will us pray. Lord I thank you I thank you for your grace and I thank you for your mercy I thank you for the work of Christ that's been completed on the cross I thank you that though we thought we never would you called us you chose us you changed us you moved us Lord, we cannot be still when you move us. Lord, I ask that you would, that you would move us, that you would move us, and you would move us more and more. That as a church and as individuals, we would see the the importance of sharing this truth. In our workplaces, in our homes, in our families. Lord, that we would be so fixed and firm in the promises that you have made that we would be willing to risk everything for you. Lord, as I I stand here tonight, feeling as though I've Wasted wind that You would show me. Lord, I believe that You have and I believe that You will, but I find myself so often struggling, so often questioning. Lord, I believe, but I ask that you would help me in my unbelief. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I pray as we worship you now, that your Holy Spirit would pour out on us, that we would worship you, knowing who you are and knowing what you've done. We would rest in your grace, in your grace alone. As inadequate as I am, Lord, I do it for your glory. Lord, make whole the messes that we make. Make whole the messes that we make. It's in Christ's name. Amen.